So for the past month and a half or so, we've been looking at these different ways that people move through the world, the, the different ways that people see their lives and, and see how the events of their lives are, are calling them into, into a new kind of life, uh, uh, the, the, the different ways that we're motivated, the different ways that we, we dream, the different ways that we have hopes and fears. And, and this morning, we're, we're on week seven of this series, and we're going to be focusing on what it means to both be people and to share this world with people who have all of these needs somewhere in their life, somewhere in their heart, but they're primarily driven by the need to be free. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Well, they're, they're driven by this, this sense, this feeling I need to find a way to be free from pain. I need to find a way to be free from sadness. I need to find a way to be free from obligation. Now, I'm not saying that they think these precise words consciously. I'm saying it's what gets them up in the morning. It's what keeps them moving throughout the day. It's what helps them either focus on something or lose focus on something. I think this probably feels less clear in terms of how they would describe it, and it's more of an experience of, uh, I don't like this. I don't like how this is going, or I'm bored right now. Uh, Could you hurry up and get to the point of the story you're telling me, because I'm having a hard time still listening to it. Um, Could we try something new? I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like this every single day goes the same exact way, and I'm I'm tired of it. Right? I don't know exactly how those, those experiences would be described by somebody who's driven like that. Right, But if we think about words that would be so important to somebody who doesn't want to be bored and doesn't want to be trapped and doesn't want to focus on the parts of, of the world that don't add up, the parts that make them feel sad. right? And they think, well, I just want to change the channel of my soul and my mind. I don't want to be in that place any longer than I absolutely have to. They're always looking for something new. They're always reaching for something that's exciting. And even though I don't think they would choose to use this word uh, just right off the top, I think all of us know that we live in a world that's constantly promising us something that is new and exciting or just plain addicting, right? You, You watch ads if you're stuck actually having to sit through ads on TV, which I know is happening less and less in our lives, but... These kinds of words pop up all over the place, and while nobody says we're going to addict you to our product, right, what they say is you're, never, you're not going to be able to put it down, right? You're not going to be able to turn it off. We don't just watch TV anymore. How do we watch? We binge watch, right? You don't watch one episode. You, if you're, you know, drawn into it enough, you may end up accidentally watching half a season, and you're not able to stop, Right? We, we, we hear all the time of, of different studies that come out when it comes to technology and how the people behind the technology that's driving so much of it, they're setting out. It's not accidental. They're working with psychologists and, and all these different experts to say, how do I make this thing something you can't put down? Well, in order for that to happen, right, it's always got to be new. It's always got to be exciting. There's always got to be an update. There's always got to be a new chapter, a new episode. And see, if you can keep experiencing new, exciting things that are captivating, that are all-consuming, even though, 
Maybe you feel like you're exhausted. And, and there may be some sense in the back of your mind or at the bottom of your heart that says, man, I feel like I've been running forever. As long as you get to experience new and exciting and addicting, well, you can make sure that you don't ever really have to face what it is you're running from. But maybe the thing that frightens you most is being by yourself with nothing to do and no noises, right? Uh, uh, Being by yourself in silence and you're there. If that's something, if that experience is something that you, you think in your life, you know, I... I'd really like to avoid that in any possible way. Then you at least have tasted before what it's like to have a life where you're driven by this need to be free from pain, free from sadness, free from obligation. Right Now, I don't, I don't mean you never want to make a promise and keep it. I just mean you, you want to feel like it's a natural desire for you to make that commitment and keep it. You don't want somebody else telling you, this is how it's gonna have to be. You just need to show up and do what you've been asked to do and that's the end of it. If that feels exhausting to you, if it feels like it's, it's claustrophobic to your soul and your mind, then again, you have a sense of what this is like. And my guess is even if this isn't your experience, you have seen many people around you, many people in our world and our lives, they get onto this, this spiritual pace of life that's, that's breaking the speed limits, right, in every direction, because our world constantly promises us this, right? It's a world that's predicated on the deep desire for more good, more exciting, more, well, even challenge, as long as it's entertaining, right? Th- these are the people who, who would hear our culture say to them, you can't, it's impossible for you to have too much of a good thing. And they'd say, yeah, I hope you're right, right? Because whatever good I've had in my life, I do want more. Whatever excitement I've had, whatever victories I've experienced, I want more of that. This sense of seeing the world from a standpoint of, okay, look, I know it's complicated. I, I know not everything goes perfectly. I know, I know there's times I have, to, I have to deal with pain in my life and in my heart and my soul. I get all that. I just, could we minimize it as much as humanly possible, right? We, we relate to this, all of us in some way or another, we, we have the temptation, don't we, to distract ourselves, to reach for whatever it is that would allow us to not have to keep focusing on what hurts and what makes us sad and what makes us feel stuck and trapped in a life that's too routine and too mundane. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, part of the reason Christianity is struggling in North America is a lot of us come to church and we're bored I mean, how many of you are already doing something else on your phone because I'm boring? How many of you can see other people doing it? 
we're bored. And we're bored because it feels mundane and it feels like it's all we, we know exactly what's going to happen and, and we've been here before and, and so much of our world is bright lights and bright colors and new things and we're sharing a story every single week that's thousands of years old. And even though in a room this size you can't really pull off silence because somebody's always sneezing or coughing, right? We... We have a hard time in church even with with moments of silence, with allowing anyone to catch their spiritual breath because we're afraid of the silence. We're afraid of it getting too quiet. We're afraid of it getting too slow. We're afraid. So we keep filling our lives up. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we read the account of somebody who decides to lean into this approach to life and say, okay, is it possible for me to experience so many new, exciting, you know, unbelievably just pleasurable things? If, if I stack my whole schedule with one good thing after the next, after the, after the uh, you know, if, if I just find a way that I never have to slow down, what would that be like? What would it feel like? Could I really live a life that's always new and exciting where I'm always doing things I want to do and nothing that I have to do. This is what he says. I took on great projects. Now, it doesn't say somebody assigned me great projects because then it wouldn't work, right? I took on great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, planting every kind of fruit tree in them. I made reservoirs for myself to water my lush groves. I acquired Male servants and female servants. I even had slaves born in my house. I also had great herds of cattle and sheep, more than any who preceded me in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers for myself, along with every human luxury, treasure chests galore, right? You see all these bold things, right? I acquired, I amassed, right? I did all this. So I became far greater than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Moreover, my wisdom stood by me. I refrained from nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Indeed, my heart found pleasure from the results of my hard work. That was the reward from all my hard work. But when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had worked so hard to achieve, I realized that it was pointless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing is to be gained under the sun. Now, nobody would accuse the author of Ecclesiastes of looking on the bright side of life. But he's trying, right? He's trying to figure out, he looks around at all these people that have power and resources, and he says, well, I've got those things, so I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm going to... At least for a season of my life, I'm, just, I'm not going to deny my, my, myself anything. Anything I look at that I'm interested in, that I'm attracted to, I'm, I'm doing that. Right? And so he lists all this stuff, and it is a bunch of hard work, but it's everything he's chosen to do. It's, it's the pursuits that he wants to, to follow, and he wants to chase down. And he says, when I, when I get to the end of that season of my life, and I look at all that I've achieved, and all that I've experienced, and all that I've done... I still have this gnawing emptiness inside of me because I'm not sure any of it means anything. 
It passed the time. It took effort. It took my attention. It took my focus. A bunch of people were impressed by me. I mean, I was, I was better at this than anyone who's ever come before me. Right? And yet, there's no there there. Right? There's, there's an emptiness. It's a chasing after the wind. If we live our lives trying to be free from pain and free from sadness and free from obligation, it might look very much like Ecclesiastes 2. And what we need to learn to do is trust that it wouldn't just look like Ecclesiastes 2. It would feel like Ecclesiastes 2. Right? But we read... It's, it's all meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And we think, well, but maybe I could figure out how to do all those things and have it be fulfilling. Right? Maybe, maybe this person, Solomon, you know, maybe even though he's the wisest person in the history, maybe I'm smarter than him. I wouldn't say that, but we, we act like we think we could pull something off that he wasn't able to pull off. When we live our lives trying to avoid the things that hurt us, the things that, that make us feel uncomfortable and, and don't have easy answers, when we're running from those things, we are often, without realizing it, we're running from some of the most important aspects of what it means to follow Jesus and to become who we were created to be. And so what does the gospel say to those of us who want to try to find a way to be free from pain and sadness and obligation? It speaks this wisdom to us. If you want, if you want to have a full life, you're going to have to learn how to embrace all of life. Life isn't just fun, exciting, new, distracting, captivating. It's not that's not what makes up all of life. It's a part of life. It's an important part of life. But if you try to edit your own experiences down to just the sunny side, there's a reason you start to feel empty. There's, there's a reason you can start to feel like there's not enough structure to your own soul to hold it together. It's because, because there isn't. And you're, and you're trying to fill that sense of of emptiness up with something you can do, something you can experience, something you can accomplish. And God says, no, 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 no. Slow down and turn off the noise and turn off the distractions and be with me until you figure out that life can't be victory after victory and mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience Life has ups and downs. Life has moments of fun and moments of trial and, and tribulation and struggle. And all of that makes you who you are in me. And all of that helps you be someone for the sake of somebody else that they desperately need from you. They don't only need you to be the life of the party. They need you to sit with them after everyone else has gone home. And that's a deep, rich part of life that if we're only focused on what we want to experience, we miss out on. So it's interesting to me, right, that in Ecclesiastes 2, he's talking about it and he says, this is what I, I, I tried to chase after all these things and they looked like they were going to make my life worth living, but I found out it was just wind. 
I couldn't get there. I couldn't catch up. I couldn't keep going. And so in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a different kind of observation that I want us to listen to. Wisdom from the heart of God. There's a season for everything. A time for every matter under the heavens. Now, some of you of a certain age are hearing a song uh, right now. (laughs) Uh, To everything, turn, turn, turn. There's a season. Now, before I read this, I want you to know there's a trickiness in translating from the Hebrew into English here. Because what this sounds like to us is when I say a time for giving birth and a time for dying, when we read, it depends on on which Bible version you're using, it may say a time to give birth or a time for. Those seem to me, if if I hear the word for, I think that's the way it should be. Right, But that's not actually the observation that Solomon's making here. He's trying to not talk about the way things should be. He's trying to tell us the truth about the way things are. So a better way to translate this would be, there's a time when we give birth and when we die. There's a time when we plant and a time when we uproot what was planted. A time when people are killed. Right? And a time when people are healed. The reason that's important is if you read this list as if this is what God wants for us, you have, you have a lot of explaining to do on the shadow side of what Solomon's talking about here. When we get to the end of the list, we're going to read it all together in a moment. When we get to the end of the list, right, he's going to say there's a time for hating. Well, that's, that doesn't mean that there's a time every year where you get to pick that one person. Right, that, he's just saying there's a time when we hate. Right? There's a time when we die. There's a time when. Okay? So, a time for giving birth and a time for dying, a time for planting, a time for uprooting what was planted, a time for killing and a time for healing, a time for tearing down and a time for building up, a time for crying and a time for laughing, a time for mourning and a time for dancing, a time for throwing stones and a time for gathering stones, a time for embracing and a time for avoiding embraces, a time for searching and a time for losing, a time for keeping and a time for throwing away, a time for tearing and a time for repairing, a time for keeping silent, a time for speaking, a time for loving and a time for hating, a time for war and a time for peace. The reason it's so important that Solomon shares this insight into life is if we think we were created to only experience the good, the fun, the exciting, then we're going to think something's wrong with us when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. And we're also going to think we can't handle it. But that's not true. right? Because the gospel means that God's love is light that's powerful enough to outlast and outshine any darkness we are constantly trying to outrun. You can't have a life that's real and honest and authentic and pretend like it's one sunny day to the next. There's darkness. There's darkness inside of us. There's darkness around us. And if we pretend like there isn't by 
picking a new fun song or watching a new TV show or picking up a brand new hobby so that we don't have to face the truth that we live in a fallen world that God is working to redeem and heal, but that redemption and that healing are not full yet. Right? If, if we're going to embrace that, if we're going to understand that, if we're going to have the courage to tell the truth of our own experience and everyone else's experiences, then we're going to have to believe that God's love is not just a warm embrace. It's a weapon against the darkness. It's a light that outlasts and outshines whatever it is you and I are trying to outrun. And I don't know what it is you're trying to outrun. Maybe it does feel like boredom. Maybe it does feel like negativity, but my guess is it's something deeper than that. It's something messier than that. It is something that the Bible calls darkness. And if we cannot speak the truth in here about the fact that every single one of us carries around inside of us a grief that every single one of us have moments where we are mourning the difficulties we are going through or the difficulties that other people in our lives are going through or the difficulties our, worth, our world is having to go through. If we can't tell the truth of all that, if we just keep saying that no matter what you're going through, Jesus makes it better, now let's stand and sing, we're only telling half the story. And it is a powerful half of the story, but brothers and sisters, it is all the more powerful when we can say with confidence that when we go to funerals, our heart is breaking. That the hardest thing we ever have to do in this life is say goodbye to somebody we love as much as life itself. That the hardest thing anyone ever has to deal with in this life, no parent should ever have to lose a child. No wife should ever have to lose her husband. I mean, nobody should have to lose anybody, but we do. And if we edit that out, especially at church, Shame on us. I remember one of my preaching teachers telling me, there's only one real reason you show up at a funeral to preach at a funeral. It's because you're not the only preacher there. There's always at least two preachers at a funeral. I've been to somewhere there's 15, but <laughs> there's always at least two preachers at a funeral. You and death. And the sermon death is preaching to every single person who shows up at a funeral is, this is it. This is the end. This is it. And a Christian preacher's job at a funeral is to say to death, you're wrong. This isn't it. And it is not over. In fact, it's just getting started. See, now that's a light. That's a light that outlasts and outshines the darkness of death. But if we really believe that, it should give us the courage to face death. Not deny it, not call it something else, not change the channel, not turn up the music, but to stand in front 
of the reality of the pain that people carry, the sadness that people carry, the obligation that that human relationship requires, and say, I'm not going anywhere because we're going to face that darkness together. And we're going to face that darkness with Jesus. And because of Jesus, we're going to win. Another way to wrestle with this is to ask yourself this question. Right? What, what would change? How, how would your life be, be different if you started trying your best to live out Jesus' way of reaching resurrection through crucifixion instead of always trying to say, Jesus already went through the crucifixion. All I have to do is focus on the resurrection. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you don't have... Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you don't have to. Jesus died on the cross to show you how to. Because brothers and sisters, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're not just the people of the resurrection. We're people of the crucifixion. We are. And if, if we're going to find a way to be who we're supposed to be, we're going to have to understand that it, it breaks an immutable law of God's universe that you could experience resurrection before you've gone through crucifixion. There is no shortcut. There is no way around it. Which is really important for us to understand because we don't always choose how we're crucified. And there's nothing wrong with you when you're going through a moment that's excruciating. It's not like someone else has figured out how to live a life where it's it's all positive and light and resurrection. They haven't. They may tell you that. They may put that on their social media feed. But nobody's life is all resurrection. And nobody's life is resurrection unless they've experienced crucifixion. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he says we have this treasure in clay jars so that the awesome power belongs to God and it doesn't come from us, right? We, we know where that power comes from. We are experiencing all kinds of trouble. The darkness, right? But the light. We aren't crushed. We're confused, but we aren't in despair. We're harassed, but we aren't abandoned. Can we read this line together? We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. Can we say that again? We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. We always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies. So so that Jesus' life can also be seen in us. So that people like Ducky can see that our God is great. Paul never talks about a life that's all resurrection, that's all upside, that's all victory, that's all overcoming. He talks about a life that includes all those amazing things, but it's always on the other side of suffering and difficulty and sadness and obligation. That if we want to be the people God's calling us to be, we have to find the courage to tell this truth about our lives and and. And accept this truth about other people's lives. 
Another way to think about it is this. People who are trying their hardest to run so that they can be free from all that's dark and all that's uncomfortable and all the things they don't want to deal with, they think that it's in the running that they experience freedom. But see, true freedom isn't the ability to keep running away from any source of pain in your life. True freedom is the ability to stop running. To stop running. To turn around. And with Jesus and with Jesus' people surrounding you, you can say with confidence, I'm done. I'm going to face this. And I believe that because of Jesus and the good news of the gospel, I'm stronger than this. And it's going to be okay. Uh, my dad, in the last handful of years, got to a place where he, uh, he just really couldn't handle the day-in, day-out demands of, of congregational ministry. And I, I think the, the biggest reason that he was struggling more than anything else was that he had tried his hardest tried all kinds of new things. He, he tried all kinds of things that might be exciting to people at church. He, he tried to change the channel as much as he could. He tried to focus on the pot. They tried together to do all that. And, and this congregation, it's, it's in Portland, Oregon. And as you, as you know, if you pay attention all to the, the United States, right, the coasts are filled with people who are less and less interested with church at all. And so no matter what they tried to do, no matter what program or, or new thing, they couldn't reverse the, the decline of their church to the point where it was just getting harder and harder for my dad to get up and preach. In fact, there were two different times that when my dad got up to preach, he was so overwhelmed with anxiety, he couldn't breathe. And the only way they knew to deal with that was to have my dad sit on the front row and have them sing one more song, and then he tried to get up and preach. It's pretty hard to pay attention to a, a sermon when the preacher had a panic attack and the song before the sermon, right? There was one Sunday that my sisters called me after church looking for my dad because he just didn't show up. Now, I've lived my life wanting to make my dad proud, I became a preacher because my dad was a preacher. What do you think that started doing to me? For my spiritual hero to not be able to do the one thing that we do together. So he came to the place where he realized he had to get out. He went to his elders and he said, look, I can't keep doing this. It's obvious, but I need to get into something that I feel called to do. And so after a bit of prayer and conversation with them, he decided he was going to go into hospital chaplaincy. And he was going to get the, the full-blown kind of national accreditation. And so that was a three-year, basically like getting a master's degree. And he asked if they'd give him the time to do it. And they said they would. They wanted to support him. They wanted to help him. And so he started going through this, this training. And 
he finally got through all of it. It involved all kinds of, you know, different, he had, he had to find out what it was inside of him that was causing him to have that kind of anxiety because, as, as you might guess, chaplains aren't supposed to bring their junk into your crisis. So he got to the place where he'd, he'd passed all the classes and he was ready. And so we went home to visit. And I walked downstairs late one night because I, I couldn't go to sleep. Uh, and uh, my dad was sitting alone in the dark crying. Uh, I think I could count on one hand how many times I've seen my dad cry. And I said, Dad, are you, what, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. I just, um, I sat in a room when a woman my age got in bed with her daughter who had just died from cancer. And she, she held her and she asked me to come over and stand with her. And she was my age. And son, that, that daughter was about your age. And those kinds of things shouldn't happen. But I'm glad that I was there. And I said, well, Dad, do you have anyone to talk to about this stuff when you, when you have to go? I mean, this is just one evening of your job, being a hospital chaplain. Yeah, yeah, I have other chaplains. They, we talk about it. We, it's just, I'm, it's, I'm never going to forget it, and I'm just glad I could be there. And I'm telling you that story because I, I had to imagine what it was like for my dad to be in that room having those those feelings and carrying it with them. But now I'm carrying the story of what my dad had to face and what he was going through. And I pray for him often, saying, God, just give him the strength to be there for people when things are happening that should not be happening. Help him have the courage and help him sleep at night. Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to say here is, look, we're not all gonna be hospital chaplains. But man, we have all run from the darkness in our lives and we've been running from it too long because I think we're afraid that God isn't greater than the darkness. And I'm here to tell you this morning, he is. He always is. And there are gonna be things that happen in your life. There are things that have already happened in your life that should never happen to anybody. And I'm sorry that they happen, but I promise you, you didn't go through those things alone. You don't have to go through the grief alone. And we wanna be people who don't just talk about that God, but embody that God. We wanna be people who make that God real so that if you ever have to crawl in bed with your adult daughter who you lost to breast cancer, that somebody's in the room too. Somebody who senses God's nearness too. Our faith is stronger than what happens to us. It has to be. Our God is stronger than what happens to us. And if 
If my dad, who has his own stuff he's running from and stuff he's got to deal with, right? If he can find a way to be there in that moment and carry that grief for somebody else so that they can keep going, I am confident that every single person in this church family can be that kind of person for somebody else. But we have to stop running from all the things that scare us. We have to stop finding excuses. We have to stop thinking that the life that Jesus has called us to could ever actually be boring. If we want to have a full life, we have to learn how to embrace all of life. And we have to learn how to understand that as we're embracing the parts of life that don't make sense and don't add up and we can't figure it all out, that it's okay. Because as we're trying to hold people together in that kind of world, God is holding us together no matter what. Look, of all the people in this world Christians should be the last people who give in to fear. I know it's there. We need to name it. We need to admit it. And then we need to embrace the one who died and rose again. And believe that no matter where we have to go, He's already been there. He knows the way. And you don't have to run anymore. I want you to take a breath. I want you to do it for real. Don't just watch me. Take a breath. You don't have to run anymore. You don't. We can face the darkness together. And brothers and sisters, we will overcome because he has overcome. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I want us to offer ourselves as a church family to the one who knows us better than we know ourselves and who knows how tired and exhausted we sometimes are and wants to give us the confidence we need to take a breath, to slow down and experience the goodness of all of life. We are his and he will never let us go. Let's stand together and sing.